Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us here at another Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by Next Level Brands CPG Community a merger of the experience of Next Level Marketing and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf. Next Level Brands community brings together CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, providing knowledge, training, courses, and networking, not only with your fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners in the industry, including packaging, finance, and e-commerce. More details available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Hi, it's Steve Clear. Welcome to the program, everyone. Today, we get to do a deep dive into a couple of areas very near and dear to my heart. First is trade promotion and its effects on the CPG industry. The other is providing a better lifestyle for fellow entrepreneurs. And joining me on the exploration is my good friend, Yuval Selleck. Yuval is an entrepreneur who co-founded Promo Mash after facing various retail execution challenges with his own organic skincare brand, Lubala. Having walked a mile then in his client's shoes, his mission is to help emerging brands thrive on retail shelves with technology and services that enable them to gain and keep a competitive edge in the market. As the founder of two successful companies in the CPG and tech space, Ubal has failed, survived, and thrived along the journey, ran the rat race, burned the candle at both ends, burned out, bottomed out, and then finally figured it out. As a result, Ubal launched the Seven Hats podcast to help entrepreneurs gracefully balance and develop the seven critical areas of their life that will provide them with the impact they seek and the fulfillment they might not realize they still crave. Seven Hats is a mix of interviews, special co-hosts, and solo shows that provide invaluable insights and pearls of wisdom that you do not want to miss. Welcome to the show, Ball. Great to be here. Uh, we have so many things we could cover. Wow, the, the gamut just getting through that. I'm thinking, well, I, could talk, I forgot to talk about this and I'm talk about that. But let's kind of start with, um, let's start with your background. So we'll talk about the entrepreneur aspect. You are a personal entrepreneur aspect, first of all. Because your background in CPG and the, and the skincare line, how did you get into that and what did you do before? So I started off in corporate yeah. out of college. I was a consultant. And throughout my corporate career in the, the first few years, I became a entrepreneur. So I used to come home late at night and working on all these ideas. You know, I was the first to create a Yelp before Yelp existed and the ah. first to create, you know, other types of websites. And this was during the 1999-2000 internet right. boom. But none of it materialized. Again, that's what an entrepreneur is. Bunch of ideas, no execution. When I moved to Los Angeles from the East Coast, which I was living in New York and New Jersey at that time, I met my wife, who's an actress, and we, um, we took a yoga and spirituality course in which sparked an idea of a wellness center. And that wellness center actually uh, did not materialize, but it was my first business venture where I formed a corporation, I assembled a team, and we went on the journey of raising $26 million to build a wellness center in Los Angeles. For a first-time CEO with no experience, raising $26 million was a bit of a challenge, in which case my CFO, <laughs> and I had a CFO at that time, uh, basically stated, wait a second, why don't you raise a million dollars first and then talk to me? So I yeah. went to sleep that night and woke up in the morning and decided that a skincare line would be the perfect entry point into building the wellness center. Right. We, were, we found a skincare line to sell at the wellness center, which was incredible. 
And we decided, you know what, let's get the skincare line off the ground. And if it becomes successful, we'll build the wellness center ourselves. We won't have to raise any money, or at least it'll be easier. Sure. And that was the entry point into my first real company with a real team and a real product. And, and the name of it was Luvala, L-U-V-A-L-L-A, a French natural and organic skincare line, aromatherapy, really beautiful line. And we got into a national retail distribution uh, channel, uh, basically all of Whole Foods, well, eight out of the 11 regions of Whole Foods, Whole Foods. Uh, yeah. Sprouts, Pharmaca, I mean, you name it, we, yeah. were, we were there and we did it pretty quickly. So that was my entry point into CPG. Right. Wow. Okay. So, um, and, and that's a, it sounds like a very successful venture. And so you're growing and whatever, you've got some national distribution. What's the evolving thing of that? Well, first I'd like to say it looked successful to the outside world. Right. Okay. But it was not successful because as a first time CPG founder, I didn't realize the difficulty of winning at retail. Okay. So I was making every mistake in the book. Okay. Yeah. We've right. only, we've raised a million or a million, $1.1 million, which I thought was a lot of money. And it is a lot of money back in 2005 yeah. and six. That's a lot of money. Yep. But when you have ATM labeled on your forehead <laughs> and you have five brokers, retailers, distributors, all asking for support and you don't know how to manage it and you don't know what you don't know, that $1.1 million goes by really, really quick. Burn rate, fast burn the rate. burn rate is fast. And so when you bring on a chain like Whole Foods or Sprouts and you can't support it with the correct and effectively managed promotional tactics, you have no chance. And so it's, you see, the thing is about CPG entrepreneurs, they celebrate when they get on the shelf. And yes, it's an achievement to get into Whole Foods as an example. Right. The problem is you're just starting your journey. Celebrate for 24 hours, knock that shit out and let's move forward because now the real challenge begins and that is staying on the shelf. Right. And the only way to stay on the shelf is to raise awareness so, some, you know, so shoppers can pick your product off the shelf and purchase it, not just once, but repeat purchasing. That's the right. important part. Yep. So that, yep. though, that was yep. the challenge and that's where I got a lot of, a lot of wrong uh, in the process. It, it, it is, I mean, we say it lightly sometimes, but it's not, not light at all. And that is, is that the, you know, um, getting on the shelf is easy. Getting off the shelf is the really hard part. And, okay. and, and, and actually both of them are hard. So, you know, it's taking credit away from anybody who gets distribution, but it is also one of the easiest traps to fall into. Yeah. Um, because everything we work in an industry that the bottom of the funnel is the two store chain. Yep. And as you go up the funnel, everything exponentially grows. Mm -hmm. Yes, your sales exponentially grow, but so do the expenses associated with those sales. Yep. And so it, it's very, 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 very hard. Um, so eventually you were not promoting, you were not merchandising. Where'd you find yourself? Well, I was promoting and I was utilizing field marketing and demos as my main promotional tactic initially. Mm -hmm. The problem was that I couldn't support so many stores with the revenue that was coming in. So uh, we launched in 2006, really kind of got out there in 2007. 2008, you know what happened. So by 2009, when shoppers were not buying $65 eye cream 
in Whole Foods or at Whole Foods, guess what happens? You're still, the machine is still, you know, chugging along and the, the, the expense of a national demo program, which, which is what I created. Uh, I literally created a national demo program, 125 or 150 brand ambassadors that I interviewed myself, trained myself, created the whole program, managed it in Excel and Google Docs. And that was a very expensive program that still continued for a long time while sales were decreasing because of the econ- economic times. Yeah. So now that my brokers are, okay, we need a TPR, we need ads, we need retainers, whatever it is that they need. Whatever it is. Right. right? And, and that machine, it's almost like a, a freight train. It's hard to stop. Yeah. And, and because sales were, were, were reduced considerably and the investors got scared and they weren't investing, which means I couldn't raise any more money, I had to cut expenses. And guess what? I was cutting marketing. Sure. Of course. But what, do you, yeah. what else do you cut, right? Marketing. Yeah, no. As yeah. soon as you cut marketing, you're, you're done because you still need to support these large chains. And that's, that's where, where the downfall started, the domino started to fall. And I was discontinued from retail. Within, I mean, we got into thousands of stores and I got discontinued within nine to 12 months or something out of every one of them. Ouch. Pretty much. Um, but then, of course, that leads you to promo mesh. Of course. Because you want to try and solve this problem. So, real quick, folks out in the audience, in, in going back 20 years or so, this idea of what Naval and I are talking about in terms of trade funds, and people say, well, what are trade funds with it? Well, it's still a little open to definition, but at the time, that I started working in it, it, there, it was the Wild West. First of all, it was being tracked mainly as a sales expense. Mm-hmm. Um, the sales department spent most of the money. Um, there wasn't um, a clear delineation of, it was no delineation of ROI. There was no whatever. And then when somebody said, you know, we need to capture this expense, the problem was, is it was in different funds with different names under different, and this is big CPG we're talking about, you know, there's five or six different funds that ended up, hey, this is trade spending. And it went from, oh, well, we, you know, our trade spending rate is, you know, five, 7% of our top line to 17%, 22%. It's like, well, wait a minute, what's going on? It became this huge figure. So that has evolved to a certain extent, but most of that stuff that was that money that you were spending are for major retailers, profit centers. Mm-hmm. And they remain profit centers. Yep. So that's the kind of preparation you have to go into. So, okay, I won't take you through the painful. We don't have to go through the whole story about what I'm getting. A, I'm getting my Twitch back. I don't know. Yeah, what sorry, sorry. About. Okay. But, but you, out of that, you decide to do promo mash. So tell us about why. So I'm driving back home after doing a demo for, the comp, for, for Luvala. And I'm at a light, a red light, started crying because I let, my investors down, my family down, myself down by losing all the distribution and therefore all the hard work, the painful nights, right? The stress yeah, that, yep, that yep. building a business from, from the bottom up um, entails, right? Yep. And I vowed at that point, because I understood what my mistakes were. You know, my second largest expense outside of cost of goods was trade, trade spend. Mm-hmm. I was trying to average out 15 to 20%, right? Um, spend to accommodate my budget, my PNL. It was way higher than that, but I didn't understand. And I wasn't able to manage the teams. I wasn't able to manage the, the, the structure um, of each one of the tactics. 
I needed to understand the efficiency of each tactic. I needed, needed to understand which tactic works best where. I right. needed to understand the return on investment. And I didn't know anything about that. So at that moment, when I was in the car, I vowed that I'm never going to let another entrepreneur with an emerging brain go through what I went through. And ProMesh was born. We started off by helping brands manage their field marketing events because that's just a beast, right? Back wow. in two, 2015, brand ambassadors didn't want to do anything. Uh, agencies didn't want to do anything. Really, the brand was paying for everything, but anyone helping the brand was calling the shots. And I was like, this is just horse crap. This does, should not happen. So we gave brands the voice and the ability right, to manage their uh, brand ambassadors, agencies, and activities, schedules, and get reporting so they can understand the insights. What's going on. And right. yeah, to, 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 to demo uh, better, right? right? And more effectively. Yep. As time went on, as a few years went, went on, our brands and also kind of in our business plan asked us to work on the other trade tactics out there. So price reduction, ads, displays, coupons, et cetera, because it's all part of trade spend, right. as well as deductions. Because deductions are a huge problem for emerging brands, huge, huge problems. And you know what the difference between a successful, really successful brand and a non-successful brand? And you'll see that with those established brands that have multi, multi millions of dollars in sales, you know, hundreds of millions, millions yep. of dollars in sales, and every other emerging brand out there. It's that those conglomerates, those big brands, have the experts, the teams, the platforms. The, they're not using Excel necessarily. They have expertise. They specialized, have right. specialized Absolutely. tools, right? Yeah, teams. There are and teams what are we left with? Deductions. And what are we left with? Excel. Yeah. yeah. Right? right. And email and carrier pigeons. So that's basically what we have. So ProMash eliminates that need, and we help the brands, emerging brands, in an affordable way for the first time. Right? Not six figures or five hundred thousand right. dollars for implementation. Affordably manage their trade spend, meaning every tactic from their teams, their sales team and field marketing team to the management aspect of the execution, analysis, you know, forecasting, planning, and then deductions. Because if you don't know what you're spending your money on, which a lot of brands don't, and if you don't know how effective your promotions are, and if you can't plan and understand what your accruals are going to be right. for the year, how right. are you planning the right. following right. year's right. promotions? Right. And you know how and they're doing it? They're doing it very simply. Hey, Bob, just copy last year's plan. We'll do. We'll just do it again. Totally, totally. And that was what happens. You know, for for twenty three years, that was my agency's business in San Francisco. And but it was for the big guys at that point in time, not the little guys. The little guys couldn't afford any of this. This this was people like you know Nestle and people like you know Niagara yeah. finally figuring out that. Well, well, wait a minute. And in in one of the brilliant ones, which was Hunt Wesson, which is now owned by somebody, but, but Hunt Wesson was its own standalone brand at that time. Hunt Wesson had two different teams of what we now call shopper marketing. They weren't called, they were called something else. They're called customer teams and something. One in marketing and one in sales, each with their own independent budgets, okay? Didn't get together with each other a whole lot and basically duplicative spending on events. Mm -hmm. And nobody, however it worked out in the accounting ladder when it went up, was called a different name. So as I was, so then we looked at at items that basically were, and these are big brands, over Redenbacher, right? Over Redenbacher. Say, hey, this is you guys are really great. Here's your problem. Your price is $3.99. Okay. Unfortunately, 37 weeks of the year, you're on TPR. 
no, 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 we're not. Absolutely. Never do that. No, no, no. Yeah, you are. Because, because 15 weeks, sales is buying it down. The other 15 weeks, marketing is buying it down. Your price is not $3.99. No. Yeah, sorry. No, your price is $2.99. Get used to it. Absolutely incredible. And it was fascinating. It was, you know, because you know, from that sense, and 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 looking at all these different things. Now, things have gotten better, but not better. So they've gotten better in the fact we now recognize it. People like you have the services and the expertise and stuff to deal with this. But retailers now have digital platforms. Mm-hmm. And digital platforms can muddy the water so oh, you can target so close to your really. Uh, and the targeting is only going to cost me twice as much as my margin. Hmm. Yeah. How, how often do I want to do that? I wonder, I, I you know, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's all that good stuff. So talk a little bit about that evolution. So you, you, you had the idea, you're going to do this as a service. You started on the demo, right? Demo side and whatever, but then you've got to bring in a little of sophistication to, you know, to get into this and track it and whatever, how'd that all evolve? So COVID accelerated it, obviously. And we basically built a reputation in the field marketing and merchandising space as the number one platform for full management, 360 degree management of your field marketing events. And one of our clients, uh, Nordic Naturals, uh, came to us back in 20, I think it was 29, either early 2019 or late 2018 or so and said, look, let's work on, because we have a lot of problems with spreadsheets and many people are just, they, they have their hand in a cookie jar and it's just really difficult to manage it all, right? They're a big company. And they said, help us with building a, a platform just like you, you did on the field marketing side because we love what you're doing there, right? It helped us tremendously eliminate the spreadsheets and the complexities. And so we spent about a year, year and a half or so, uh, really working with a couple of clients, two, three clients kind of on on the sophistication of a trade management platform, because it's not easy. There are a lot of backend no, um, uh, algorithms and formulas. And we we tried to do something very different than the rest of the platforms out there. We're kind of the anti-establishment platform. <laughs> we want to be extremely easy to use, UI, UX friendly, meaning that when somebody logs in, they enjoy using it. It's not complex. It's not bloated, right? If you're using like a salesforce.com or S or SAP, it's just hard, you know, to, to navigate. Right. And I hear that all the time, expensive and hard to navigate. Somebody wants to use it. So we spend a lot of time thinking about the ease of use, right. And the, uh, and trying to eliminate the workload of the brokers and the managers and, the executives going into the platform. So we spent a lot of time doing that. We've we hired some incredible consultants in the CPG space uh, to get it done, right? Uh, and so my experience and, and the experts on the team built an incredible planning platform for trade promotions where now we can utilize the demo platform, which handles all of the field marketing yeah. uh, tactics, and then combine it for the first time, because there, I don't think there's any other platform that can literally take field marketing execution and put it together with the other tactics so you can understand the effectiveness of your field marketing versus an ad versus a display versus a price reduction, right? Within an right, organization, right. Uh, within your customer. And so that allowed us to, uh, for the first time, allow brands to make decisions where they thought they had no decision making power. So for example, we have a planning module where a brand can go in and within five minutes, 
understand the PNL for that promotion and the PNL for the customer as well. Right. So right. if I'm trying to negotiate a promotion with, let's say, Sprout, I can put a promotion in. Within five minutes, I see if I'm profitable, what my profitability is, and what tactics I'm going to use. So I'm going to say I'm using three tactics, a TPR, an ad, and a demo. I think it's going to produce a 300% lift for that period. Okay. And I think I'm going to make, oh, wow, negative $3,000 on this promotion. <laughs> well, that's not good. So then you, you look at your PL, you see your, your negative, you're looking at the customer PL. Oh, they're making 30 grand. Well, that's fantastic. So then you call the buyer up and you renegotiate because now you have numbers to speak with them about, right? You can say, look, you're making 30 grand. I'm losing 63,000. Can we do something? Can you swing the deal a little bit? Can you throw an ad in instead of me paying for it? Can you do something? So I'm right. at least breaking even. I'm, I want exactly. to promote with you. Yeah. yeah. But if you don't have the tools to do so, right, quickly, yep. brands don't do that. So for the first time, brands have that ability without almost any work on their, you know, extra workload on their sales team. And yeah. then when, when you're looking at, you know, the deduction side of things, that's the plan. So now you're, okay, great. I'm breaking even this promotion right. and, and it's costing me, you know, $30,000 to put it through. Great. But that's your plan. What if you under or overestimated on your, on your demand? Because if you overestimate on your demand, that trade rate is not 15% anymore. It nope. could be 70%. Yeah, yeah, right. Very easily, yeah, very easily. So then the invoices come in, and now you're seeing what did I plan? What are the what's the latest spend based on the invoices? And then when the deductions come in, now you're seeing actuals, and this finally allows your team not to speak of that dreaded. Let's copy it from last year and put it together next no, year, right? Because now you can see I've I've made mistakes here. I can you know forecast a little bit better the following year. Maybe this retailer is just not effective for me. So let me take some of the funds that I've, that I'm usually um, promoting with this retailer. Let's yep. shift it over to another retailer. Knowledge and insight from one single source of truth, where all the information comes in, in one platform, gives your team the ability to manage promotions and retail execution like Nestle does. But, right. the, but otherwise yeah. it's impossible. Where, well, like in size and stuff. So I, I spend some time working with people who are at anywhere from the 20 to 200 store level or whatever. And a lot of them are in under special local programs or they're, you know, whatever minority um, supported stuff. It, it, so they haven't necessarily, you know, had the, uh, the touch on them as bad as right. Some people might be, there's still a little ways away from that. Yeah. But regardless of that, they're still right. Starting with the onboarding, right. It's Okay. You, where's your promotional plan? And it's like, well, okay, well, you know, and we suggest you do four 15% TPRs a year. Mm -hmm. Well, four 15% a year takes a little whack unless it's even if it's shared, right? And a lot of times it isn't. So it's like, okay. Um, so you get started with that right away. And I think part of the issue is, is you don't see it as a line item until it's huge, mm -hmm. until it's really big. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're going, why am I not making any money? And the yeah. answer is because you're spending on all these other things. Plus you have some of the, if you're with the distributors and brokers who are doing their jobs, but still there's, I have to do the UNFI show or whatever. And that's X amount of dollars. And I'm oh, not yeah. sure exactly what the return was from that or whatever, or uh, to in, in a person who's unfortunately left the business and shouldn't have, but I got a phone call from him one day and he goes, I literally have a negative 
PO from UNFI. All the I time. We see it all the time. I yes. owe them money. What yes. is this? Right. Yes. And it's like, mm, what happened? Well, apparently some things went out of, you know, went out of date, went out of code. It's, wow, this is bad, right? And 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 by the way, that's coming from the distributor who should know better, right? Um, but anyway, yeah. So it's a huge, huge problem, even if you're a smaller company. Where in, in, in and I'm not gonna ask you your sweet spots, that's too, you know, but where would a company be to benefit from working with PromoMash? You know, it we we look at it as it depends on where you are. And it depends on what you need and your funding, right? You can be a startup with a bunch of funding and you have no problems. You should spend on optimization, sure. right? Yep. Yep. If you are self-funded, you have $50,000 in the bank and you just, you're thinking of getting into Sprouts, first don't, but let's say right. you make yeah, that exactly. decision, yeah. right? <laughs> then then what you need to do is you need to focus on what will provide the, the biggest ROI, the biggest push towards success, right? What's going to move the needle? And I would suggest if you're a startup brand in the food and beverage space, field marketing is the surest way to gain traction initially because number one, you're getting connected with your shoppers. So you're learning about your shoppers. Right. Okay. Number two, they're tasting your product. They're smelling your product. They're touching your product because normally there's too many yellow stickers on the shelf for them to just pick you up because you're on sale these days. Everybody's on sale. So if you're in a competitive space, that shelf is filled with yellow stickers. So just doing a price reduction could be a very expensive way of trying to attract customers just to pick your product up because you have nice packaging. So far, I've never seen a brand with nice packaging succeed just because of packaging. Believe me, we've spent a ton of money and time on packaging. Oh, 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 look at this word and look at this certification. Bullshit. Nothing. It doesn't work. You need awareness. And the best way you can have awareness as a startup brand, especially in food and beverage and skincare or health and beauty is trial because that gives you the longest period of repeat customer. Okay. That's been proven. So I would start small though. Don't do what I did. If you don't have an unlimited budget, start with a local area and do more demos in that area rather than a larger area and fewer demos. Because what you're trying to do at each, at each location, you're trying to, to, to get to every customer that, or every shopper that's walking into the store. Right. So there are shoppers Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. If you're just doing a demo on Monday, you're missing out six days worth of shoppers in a sense. Yep. So focus on the smaller area and just really get, get, gain traction. Because the most important thing is repeat customers who will then showcase to the retailer, to the buyer, that you're a viable product and they shouldn't discontinue you and that you're providing support to the store. The other thing that happens is when your brand ambassador or your founder, whoever it is, is in the store, they're speaking with the staff. The staff then recommends them outside of a demo. That's a sweet spot. That's to awesome. shoppers, right? Yeah. Oh, you should shop try this. Home, this yeah, all new, it happens all the time, especially right. if you make friends and you give them some samples. That's the key to startups. Then you can focus on optimizing your price reduction, et cetera. Not to say you might need to do a price reduction, you know, because just to get into the retailer. Sure. Or no, no. There's some things you have to, the cost of doing business, you, you have, have to, to do it. But right. I would minimize it as a startup. If you're under $2 million, I, if it was me, I'd be focusing my efforts on trial right. and physical trial to get the product into the shopper's hands and learning as much as I could learn from the shopper 
about my product, my taste, my smell, my feel. Like what what do they like about it? Would they repurchase? How many times they would repurchase, et cetera. Right. That would be and now once you get to a two million to five million, that's when you need to start I itemizing and putting together different tactics in conjunction with each other. So a demo with a TPR and an ad as a support system. Right. And then see how that works. And with ProMesh, that's a perfect time period to come in and take care of your deductions because that's cash back to your bottom line. So you can spend on other marketing efforts and then optimize that promotional spend. And I'll tell you this, the thing about deductions Look at about one to one and a half percent of top line revenue. I'm talking pure top line revenue. Yep. One to one and a half percent. That's on average how much you should expect in getting uh, in invalid deductions that are recovered. Right. That's a big number. Okay. That could be utilized for other marketing tactics. Right. And then once you have that, then you can optimize the rest of them. But that hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. Absolutely. And if people want to find out more information, by the way, website is www.promomash.com, right? Correct. Promomash.com. It's, it's, it's everywhere. If you want to contact me, my email address is Yuval, Y-U-V-A-L, V as in Victor, A-L, at promomash.com. And I'll be happy to help answer any questions. That's what I'm yeah. here for. Absolutely. And it's, it, and it's evolving. Uh, it's, it's an evolving business too. It's still, you know, um, and still fascinates me regardless of how many years I've been spending on it. Um, I will, um, Shift gears a little bit right now because you've become a fellow podcaster recently. I've joined so, the club. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, about seven hats. And and first of all, what are the hats? Let's start with that. So I assign a role to each hat. Okay. And I'll explain. So the first hat, which I call the golden hat, the role is the soul. And the reason why, it's because it's the self-love hat. It's the mindset hat. And that hat really helps all the other hats become successful. Because if you don't have the right mindset, if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't provide yourself some self-love, it's impossible to be successful in life. So that's hat number one. Hat number two is the athlete, health and wellness, right? Proper sleep, proper nutrition, proper exercise. Hat number three is the servant that's relationships. You serve as a relation in, in your relationship. You're a servant. And so that's your relationship with others, right? Family, friends, yep. colleagues. Yep. Had number four is the entrepreneur. Of course, we want to focus on our company, right? Or companies, if you're a serial yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah. Yep. Uh, had number five is the investor. You don't want to be like me having to drive a limo for $10 an hour because you can't support yourself after your business fails. 95% of businesses hey. fail. And I know every entrepreneur is listening not my business. It's not going to be me. It's someone else. Well, just in case, make sure to save for a rainy day and especially for retirement. Hat number number six is the philanthropist. It's not enough to just achieve. You got to contribute. You got to give back to those that need it most, right? So that's a hat that that I'm working on personally myself right now. And then hat number seven is one of my favorites, and that's the seeker, the spirituality hat, Uh right? your connection with your higher self. And you can see each hat works alongside the other hats. Mm -hmm. And when you really focus, and I'm not saying there's balance, there's no balance. It's just what's most important at this moment. You know, if you're going through a divorce, you know, the philanthropist hat might not be the most important thing to focus on at the moment, right? Right. Or if your business is, is about to go bankrupt, 
right? You can probably wait on the athlete, you know, the exercise for a little bit, right? But it doesn't mean that you stop altogether. What you want, what you're trying to do is, and, and I felt this, I had this experience and, and I just don't want other entrepreneurs to go through it. I don't want success to be that endpoint journey or the, the endpoint in the journey. And then you're asking yourself, is this all there is? Because you're not fulfilled. And so you're trying to work on every one of the, one, every one of the hats on a weekly basis right? As much as possible so that when you succeed in an achievement of financial success, now you have the right relationships that supported you throughout the entirety of the, of the journey. You have the health to go travel or do whatever you need to do. Right. And that's, that's really the most important to me is, is honing in on those hats and helping entrepreneurs who were me 10, 15 years ago, really get it into their heads that it's not just about the business. There are plenty of billionaires out there and multi, multi, multi millionaires out there that are antidepressants because they hate life. Money alone and financial success is not going to do it for you, but people don't think about it until it's too late. So I want to really get that entrepreneurs to think about it as, as, as soon as possible. I, I, I think the um, entrepreneurship has gotten you know, in, in the, the, the past few years, really kind of a golden halo thing thrown around it um, to the point where there are some people who feel like they want to try it, even though they're actually very happy working for a, a corporation working inside. And, you know, but the, but the balance aspect um, just, you know, thank goodness. I don't think I ever really had that issue. A, a little bit of it was time in the fact that, first of all, my entrepreneurial ventures were all service businesses, hmm. as opposed to what you started out doing where, you know, right, you have an investment. Some people even start out with a capital investment. I sublet an office and got a telephone, landline at that point, but a telephone, right? So it's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot easier to close that shop up when it comes to the end of the month rent. You just go, well, we're done. I got, I got to move on. Uh, but Somewhere along the line, I had other interests, hobbies, family, friends, and I carved the time for them. And I remember when we first opened trade marketing in San Fran, um, I started working Saturdays. And normally I would do some paperwork and stuff and whatever on Saturdays, but didn't quote unquote work. And Sunday was rest planning, you know, the spiritual aspect of it, if you will, not, you know, but just that a different look and then get back into it Monday morning. And I came home to my wife and I said, you know what? I, it's really funny. Thursday afternoon, I was sitting in a meeting. We're talking about some stuff going on. And I said, oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of that on Saturday. And what I realized when I did that was I was pushing stuff to the weekend that I really probably could have gotten done during the week. Mm-hmm. But it was just easier to say, throw it to Saturday. And then I went, okay, I'm not working Saturdays anymore. That's it. I'm going to stop. I got all the same stuff done. I may have had to spend a little more time Monday through Friday, but I carved my Saturday back out. And, and that's been, to me, has been really great about that importance. And, and the, that balance, by the way, when things were going badly, I didn't change that. And I probably should have. <laughs> my agency in LA was declining, let's say, rapidly. I still didn't work on weekends. Didn't do it. I was going to come hell or high water. I'm going to maintain you know, some consistency over that period of time. And I don't recommend that everybody do that. I'm not saying that. It's just whether I just didn't give a shit or what happened, that's how that worked. But I work with a lot of entrepreneurial people and I do see this tendency, this quote unquote, we're going to go all in and all in at the expense of 
my spouse, my children, you know, whatever. And it's like, seriously, you know, it's, it's, you are not, I mean, you may be the brand face and name, but you are not the brand. Mm -hmm. You are a person and, you know, you need to take care of that and be aware of it. So the seven hats thing, very interesting. So, so when you decided to do that, what did you, did you go call a bunch of psychologists or how'd you get, how'd you get that rolling? The podcast? Yep. Like anything else, resourcefulness. And I got into Google and I typed in, in search, best podcast courses out there. <laughs> and yeah. I started consuming. I, you know, believe it or not, it took, I started the podcast concept October of 2020. Okay. Yeah. And yep. I just launched in June of 2021. Right. My idea initially as every entrepreneur, oh, I'm going to start it. Like, oh, let me launch. So I'm starting to learn in October. Uh, November 15th sounds like a good launch date. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> because the, the, thing about, uh, the thing about podcasts and just in general, you want to come out with a great product. You want to do your due diligence. You want to understand every facet of the business and not just hand it off to someone initially. Right. Yes, you're not going to be an expert in everything, but at least you understand it. And my whole point was, I need to understand podcasting. I need to understand how to interview how to create the podcast, how to edit it, how to market it, how to design the, the, the social marketing uh, aspects of, 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 the, um, of the podcast. So it took a long time to really get, and plus the equipment, that's a labor of love, you know, to, oh, of course. to for me to look good on camera, it's very expensive. Yeah, it's yeah. very expensive. <laughs> so, so in essence, that's what happened. And that's what I did. I took Pat Flynn's class. I took Mike Russell's class. And, and so basically I, yeah. I did as much knowledge-based research as I could. And my, my co-founder helped out a lot. And we have an in-house designer with ProMesh that helped out. So, it, and, but most importantly, you know what it was? It was the support of my wife. It was support of my, of my family and friends. That's what makes it happen. And that's why you should pay attention to hat number three, uh, the servant, because without right. your you know, relationships, you don't have the oh, support. No that you need to accomplish those hairy audacious goals that you are trying to accomplish. Cause it's very difficult. I was very, uh, so impressed when you, you shared with me your, your spreadsheet and we were, we were talking one day about this and, and, and share screen. I'm looking at this spreadsheet detailed, all, all this stuff that I, I never did and still haven't done, but looking at it and going, wow, this is so organized. What oh, man, this is, this is going to take a lot more time than, than I thought. And I'd already been doing it for a year and a half at that point. But the, I think part of the approach that I had to it was um, I cheated a little bit in that very, very early when I was in college, my career, I was on the radio. I did a talk show. I did talk several talk shows, whatever. So I had interviewing people, not that I'm really that good at it, but it doesn't put me off. I don't think and wonder about what we're going to talk about next. Um and in in that idea of being more comfortable in that space gave me you know a lot of things. But what I ran into out of the box was trying to get guests interested in the podcast. That was tough initially. It was like you know, and I'm going, well, why don't people want to be on a podcast? I mean, this is like free publicity, right? It's whatever else. And I changed my tactic. You and I talked about this. I changed my tactic to my LinkedIn connections, very succinct, very boom, boom. And then all of a sudden, just it rolled. And now it's, it's, now it's choosing guests. It's not 
looking for guests. So it's it's a very different, different thing, but a hell of a lot of fun. And I've learned so much. Oh my God, it's incredible. You know, just the knowledge and the fun. So you're going to have that same thing with seven hats for sure. Thank you. It's it's a labor of love and I'm just a servant. You know, I, I'm just a messenger. It's not like what I'm saying is all this. It's not, it's not novel. You know, we've been saying the same stuff for 6,000 years, right? It's just packaged differently. It's not like Tony Robbins or Brandon Bashar or uh, whoever, right. That's out there right. speaking is saying anything new. They're just, they're the messenger. And some, for some people, what I say right now, and when they're listening to this podcast, it's just going to resonate and they'll be like, Oh my God, I got to go out and find the seven hats and I want to listen and I want to learn more. But for others, it's going to be like, eh, you know, and that's the thing. That's the one advice, piece of advice that I'm going to give anyone that wants to start a podcast is that you're going to get the imposter syndrome for sure. You're going to wake up one morning and right. not just one morning, every morning. And I still wake up with the same concept and thoughts. Who am I? Right. Who's going to listen to me? Why would anybody care? There are so many other entrepreneurs out there who are. Yep really successful, who needs another podcast, blah, 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 blah. And it's going to come into your psyche and you're not going to let it go until such time that you're like, you know what, monkey mind, you shut up and I'm going to do what I love. And I know that if I can help only one person that I resonate with, my job is done, right? right That's right. what I, I'm here to help at least one person. And then that grows. And then you start getting emails. Oh my God, your podcast resonated for me and I've learned this, or it made me think of an idea. Yep, and yep. you know what? And it grows from there. Don't yep. have imposter syndrome, just get it done, go do your research and let the rest unfold in your journey. The, the uh, fun thing is the breadth of people, guests that I've had on from CPG. Um, when you put all the stories together, whatever is so the people will, again, send me an email about something. And half the time when I'm sending back whatever the thing to the inquiry is, I will include a link to a show to say, look, rather than listen to me. Okay. <laughs> so this is Grace Ventura. Grace did Beyond Broth, which is now Grace's Goodness. Her show was talking about the point of coming to hiring a CEO when she, you know, and just gave it to us. This is what I do. I walked in, I did this and then the other and realized that even though I was the founder, the soul, the voice, that I need a CEO to grow. And she hired Sarah Bird, smart thing, and it's great. But, or those, or the one who says, you know, we were one, literally said, I was one rent payment away from getting thrown out, mm. you know, and I'm driving up and down the street going, what am I going to do? I couldn't even go to the office. Well, you know, the people, if you're in a little tough spot, you can listen to this guy go, hey, wait a minute. He's got he's got pallets in Costco now. Well, yeah. And, and so that's been that's been awesome because there are so many different journeys and so many different paths to this that, you know, I've had ex-tech people, you know, share. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. I came in and I spent a boatload of money and got nothing. <laughs> like I don't know. Why, why am I still here? It's Because I believed in my bar and I wanted to give my bar to the people. So, you know, figuring it out. But. That's awesome. Yeah, that's one of the things you get to do. So you, you've had some fun people on already and you, you've got more lined up and stuff and, and delving a little bit more into those seven hats. Do you look for people like for one of the seven hats or do you want to talk about the whole thing? So what I do is I outline the seven hats and I try not to repeat them week after over week, right? Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to, to have some variety. And then what I, what I put on my spreadsheet is the topic that I want to speak about. And that's a subtopic of a hat. 
So okay. for instance, if it's for the investor hat, I might want to speak about retirement funds and, right. and, and savings, or maybe I want to speak about, you know, how do you uh, manage your books while running a, a business? I mean, whatever it might be, or for relationships, it might be relationships with your spouse versus relationships with your kids, or maybe starting a business with a family member. That's a big, big topic that yeah. we're going to cover on the seven hats very soon. And then I try to find the best, most qualified individuals that are willing to come on my podcast right now. Now I have my dream 100. I want to interview Tony Robbins one day and Russell Brunson one day. And yes, those are all great, but I have to also be okay with where I am right now and who's going to come on my show. So I try to find really interesting people who are going through these issues at the moment who have tried to figure it out, or maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but I know the conversation is going to be interesting. I get them on the show and that's how I raise awareness when the podcast becomes more uh, popular. Right. Others will, like you said, others will start approaching you to, right. to come on the show. And I'm already seeing that even early on. I yeah. just think, keep it interesting, keep it fun and just do what you love to do. If you want to do a podcast, right. just enjoy and everything provide, will fall into place, you know, provide value, Gary. Yeah. Lee. Provide value provide in value. everything, We're in every business, just yeah. provide value. The yeah. more value you can provide to more people, the richer you're going to get financially. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very simple. Awesome. That's the formula. Well, well, I'm really glad that uh, you were able to spend some time with us today and talk about both, uh, well, all three things. First business, Promo Mash, of course, and promomash.com, folks, we want information. And then uh, the, what's the Seven Hats website? Sevenhats.com, use the number seven. So use the number the, seven and the. That's yeah, the I, before I seven. The. The. Yeah. yeah, there's a website, Seven Hats, that's not being used and I couldn't get it. So you need the <laughs> yeah, Seven Hats. So the Seven Hats. T-H-E, yeah. seven, and then hats. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, so um, the way we usually wrap up the show is we try to get our guests to encapsulate um, in a single word or single thought or a, a topic or whatever. You've got two dozen you could pick from. Um, what would you leave as the word to grow by for fellow entrepreneurs today? I think it's time and money. So basically for entrepreneurs, you're going to fail if you run out of time or you run out of money. And so what you need to understand is the only way to become successful is to let go of the ego and ego excited that you can do it alone and right. find others who are going to support you both emotionally, mentally, as well as financially and through skill sets. So find the right people and the right partners and the right service providers that are going to help you get there faster so you don't run out of time and money. And if right. you don't run out of time and money, you will be successful. And that's really my, my tip of the day. That's excellent. Well, hey, really appreciate it. Thank you again. We'll be talking to you soon. Well, you're, you're a friend in my eyes. So thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And you're doing great uh, building a community, just like I'm trying to build the seven hatters. You're building a community of CBG folks. Uh, and I just, I'm, I'm at all and humbled by, by knowing you and your friendship and, and looking forward to continuing. No problem here for you. And you know that, and I'm really excited about the podcast. It's so cool. Thanks again. And thanks by the way, to all the rest of you for joining us out there in the audience today, part of the next level brand CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health, and wellness, or even small goods, you should be a part of the next level brands community, education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and networking. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we will see you all next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at nextwith2xslevelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.